This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my special guest today is Gillian Perkins. Gillian, thank you for joining Rising Tide. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Well, I have, uh, once again, I've, my guests have been stalked on Facebook and YouTube, and, and I've done a lot of, lot of background on you, and, and you are a prolific YouTuber. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about who Gillian Perkins is? Oh, yes, prolific would be a good way to describe me. I would say <laughs> that, I, yes, yes, I create a lot of content and I do a lot of things. And through that process, I figure out a few things that work. Something I often say is that to have good ideas, you need to start with a lot of ideas and then you can refine down. And that's kind of how I have managed to create the whatever level of success I have created is simply through trying a lot of things that I see life as an experiment. So um, as far as a little bit about me and what I do, I'm the founder of a program called Startup Society, which is a group of online entrepreneurs who work together to build digital businesses that are mostly content-based businesses. So they're YouTubers, they're bloggers who run information businesses where they sell courses or membership sites. And I guide them through that process, show them what I figured out has worked and how to do it. And then we work on those things together so that we can create passive income in our lives and have more freedom and flexibility and more control over our schedule and our location. So that's the main thing that I do. As you mentioned, I have a YouTube channel. We make two videos every single week, uh, mostly focused on entrepreneurship and success and digital marketing. Uh, and we just surpassed about 200,000 subscribers pretty recently. So it's grown wow. a lot over the past couple of years. So, so dive a little deeper. I know that you've got some, some little people surrounding you as well. So... You yes. want to touch on that a little bit? <laughs> yeah. So I live in Oregon in the Willamette Valley and I have a husband and three little kids. My husband and I have been married for about seven years now and our kids are five and two and uh, nine months old. Wow. I keep track of their ages. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think three is my like max where I can actually keep track of their names. <laughs> uh, but they are fantastic kids and they make my job as a mom pretty easy. Um, but definitely a theme in my life is that navigation of work-life balance, being a mom and running a business. It's not what my business is about or what I talk about a lot in my content, but it's certainly something that is an issue and something that I deal with and that a lot of my subscribers, my viewers on YouTube deal with as well. And so it certainly is part of the conversation. Well, I, I really appreciate you touching on that. And I'd like to dive in a little deeper right now, but let's let's go back a few years. Um, I think I was looking on maybe your about page and you, you said on the, I was a consummate you know child entrepreneur during the <laughs> lemonade stand and, and other things. But so Obviously, has this just been in your blood since since childhood? I mean, have have you ever, as as they would say, have you ever had a real job? Not really. I ha I was an intern, which was sort of like a job, but I didn't get paid for uh, about nine months when I was kind of in a transition stage between college and figuring out what I wanted to do in that realm. But aside from that, I've never had a job at all. Um, and yes, it did start at a very young age. I'm not sure exactly where it came from, aside from the fact that I was a very lazy child. And <laughs> I saw some people who were working hard for their money, and I thought, I don't want to do that. <laughs> at this point in my life, I have finally, I think, overcome that tendency, and I'm a pretty hard worker. But it took a while. And so as a child, I was just trying to figure out how money was made and how I could support myself somehow and get the things in life that I saw that I wanted um, without having to do backbreaking labor. Um, my dad 
is a landscape architect. And so I saw both the, um, uh, the pattern there of him working for himself and the flexibility and freedom that that gave him and that entrepreneurial spirit. And that was really inspiring to me, but I also saw him working really, really hard, That's sometimes true. doing the physical labor of the landscaping along with his foreman um, and also the labor that the foreman were doing. And so I kind of saw both sides of that equation and it both showed me some things I didn't want to do and also some things that I wanted to do. It did make me feel really comfortable with entrepreneurship though and with being my own boss and it just felt very natural to me. And so yeah, from a very young age, I was doing all sorts of entrepreneurial schemes, I would say lemonade stands, selling my Easter candy to my neighbors, um, selling flower bulbs door to door, all sorts of strange little ideas I had as a child. Um, and over time, of course, they got better and better. And I started my first what I would call real business when I was about 14 years old. And I actually continued to run that business for the next 10 years after that, and finally sold it a few years ago, so that I could pursue what I finally figured out was the thing that I really was most interested in what which was business strategy and marketing mm -hmm. I don't know if that was originally the thing that most captivated me um, and I was just took so took that long to figure it out or if through the process of starting different businesses and experimenting if I developed a love for that but either way I finally found something that I really finally landed. Yes, yes. Both felt passionate about and was good at and was able to help others with because prior to that, I tried many different things, but I either was not good at them, no, no gift, no talent, or um, I had some sort of gift talent, perhaps, but uh, I didn't know how to turn it into a real business. Right. I, I mean, as you were mentioning, I, I wonder how many, you know, 14 year old business coaches there are out there. I mean, so you, I mean, you, you probably <laughs> well, had a right yeah. of passage. You had to go through something. It's like, you know, people I see on online that are like, I'm a life coach at 21. And I'm saying, I don't think you're qualified yet. I think you have to live a little more life. Yeah. And at 14, just to be clear, I didn't start a, a business coaching business at 14. I started a music studio locally at 14. Um, and of course, that took a plenty of time to get good at teaching music and working with clients and attracting new clients to the music school. But it grew over time and I learned a lot. And I think that helped me overcome that tendency toward laziness that I had when I was younger, because building that business was a lot of work. Yeah. And there were times when I took a shortcut or didn't put in the effort that I needed to. And then I saw the consequences of that. Uh, and so that taught me a lot. And then running a few different online businesses over the past few years has taught me a lot. And there's still a lot of room for learning, especially in this industry that we're working in, uh, this digital industry that changes so, so fast. Sure. Well, and I, I think, I mean, if, if I've noticed one thing in kind of your trajectory is, is how willingly, willing you are to pivot, you know, when you needed to. And, and I mean, you've had, you've had experience in a number of different areas. And I like the, I mean, there's one thing you summed up. I, I don't know if it was on, a, on a, an article or, or a video that I was watching. You were talking about just all the things you had tried that, you know, had various degrees of success, but and then all of a sudden you, you said you landed on, on kind of two pillars. Um, I think on your, your about page, you mentioned those. I mean, one, you talked about just how you grasped really the strategy of how money was made. Mm -hmm. and, and the second one was how you, you know, once you clarified kind of your USP. I think those two things were, were things you mentioned. You want to you touch on those a little bit or, you know, we can circle back later. But those just seem like really really interesting. I mean, how 
integrated those two things really are. And those are actually pretty big epiphanies to have. Yes, they really were. And I think that sometimes we hear advice and it sounds like advice we've heard before. And so it seems so basic that we don't think very much about it. Um, And perhaps we think we're already doing that. We already understand it. And that first thing you mentioned, how money is made. So simple of a concept that it seems like we don't even need to think about it. Of course, we know how money is made. But somehow I had not put two and two together and realized that I needed both the ingredients and that I could then diagnose why I wasn't making money in my business or in my life in general and could solve that problem. So it sounds, I think at this point, like we're coming up with an algebraic equation here. You know, we have some (laughs) factors that we need to add together and then we need to determine what the missing factor is. So um, how money is made? Like I said, painfully obvious here, but we have to have something that we're selling to someone and then we make money. (laughs) So obvious, but so, so important. Now, um, sometimes I think that when people hear this, they have a reaction of, I don't want to sell something or, oh, there's other ways to make money aside from selling something. You know, for example, YouTubers, they're not selling something necessarily, and they might be making money from the ads on YouTube, but they are selling something. Right. And that's what we need to think about. They aren't selling a physical product directly to a consumer, but they are effectively selling their content in a sense to YouTube. They're selling people's attention. They're Mm -hmm. creating this content, which is attracting viewers' attention. And then they're selling that attention to YouTube so that YouTube can monetize that content, right? Um, By selling advertisers ads. And then YouTube makes money and passes 50% of it back to the YouTuber. So a much more complicated situation there, but still we're selling something. We're selling that attention that we have captured of the viewers. So in order to do that, we first had to make that thing that we're selling, right? We had to make the viewer's attention, which involves creating content and perhaps like marketing that content to get those eyes on our content. Mm -hmm. So that then we had a product that we could then turn around and sell to YouTube. So a much more complicated situation there, but still we have a thing that we're selling and we're selling it to someone. And you'll find that whenever money is made, that those two things always exist. There's always a product and it's always being sold to some person who is buying it. Um, and so then we can kind of take a step back and look at if I'm not making money or if I'm not making as much money as I want to be making, which of those two things is lacking. Maybe one of them is lacking entirely. You know, perhaps we have a product we want to sell, but no customers, or perhaps we have something of an audience, but we're not selling them anything or more likely one of them simply isn't as strong as it needs to be. So maybe we have an audience and we have a product, but it's not a great product or it's not the right product for that audience. So we need to work on improving the product or developing a new product. Or maybe, and this is probably the most likely situation, the most common situation, is we have a product that might be a pretty good product, but we have a very small audience. You know, not very many people know we exist. Not very many people are paying attention to us. And so there isn't anyone buying that product. 
And I think that for a lot of people who want to start online businesses, that is the most common situation that they might find themselves in. Although I certainly have encountered plenty of situations where the, the other situation I mentioned was the case where maybe they had a small audience, but they didn't have anything they were selling and they wondered why they weren't making money. <laughs> right. Can, can we camp on that just for a little bit? So, so talk about, walk, walk us through kind of the transition you went through over the, you know, the course of the last seven or eight years or whatever it was, where you really were identifying, um, what were the, I guess, what were some of the, the tests you were running that said, okay, how do I test the product? How do I test the audience? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just lack of response is, is probably a pretty, uh, you know, pretty broad test. I mean, how did you kind of refine and, and what metrics were you using to determine you know, which one of those, you know, variables in the equation were affected and or, or, you know, were most important and or kind of some maybe a step or two that you can you can think of that I, I as I, I just got better at this over time. Mm-hmm. Was it A-B testing? Was it, you know, what, what were you using? It wasn't anything as so elegant as A-B testing, <laughs> however simple that might be. Um, so when I first started making money, it was, I was not aware of this equation at all. Uh-huh. Surely I knew this if I had thought about it, but I did not think about it. So the only way in which I was making money, and at this point in time, this was when I was uh, selling music lessons. So mm-hmm. I was attracting music students, providing music lessons to them, and they were paying me for the music lessons, of course. And... Like I said, I was not aware of this very simple equation. And so the reason I was able to make money was simply because I saw other people making money in that way. And so I was simply duplicating the process that they had already created. I wasn't really aware of the, the, what was making that work. Mm -hmm. I just knew that this was something people did and it made money. So I did it. And then as I wanted to start an online business, And I tried and tried and tried to start an online business and I couldn't figure out how to start an online business. That was when I finally became aware of the equation because I read a lot of blog articles about how to start an online business and I watched videos and I bought courses and I bought expensive courses. Mm -hmm. And for some reason I wasn't making any money and I was buying and buying a lot of courses and reading a lot of articles primarily about marketing. So I was buying courses on how to run webinars, how to run Facebook ads, um, maybe how to develop a course, all of these different tactics that I knew were part of the equation. And I watched perhaps, you know, a webinar about that that was selling me a course. And maybe the webinar was about the power of Facebook ads and how incredibly powerful Facebook ads were and how you could use Facebook ads to make so much money. And I watched that webinar and I thought, okay, this makes sense. You know, everything they said seemed true. They gave real proof, real evidence, case studies. Um, And of course, sometimes you watch a webinar and you think, uh, now this person's full of baloney, you know, they're making this stuff up. But sometimes you watch one and you're like, yeah, I, I believe this person, what they're saying, it makes sense. And so then I would buy the program and I would do the program and I would do what the program, not, not just consume the content in the program, but I would actually do the actions. And mm-hmm. then I didn't make money. And I thought, hmm, something is missing here. Am I just really bad at this? Or is, is a thing missing? Am I missing a whole step? And that was when I finally realized, oh, I need both parts of this equation. I need step one product, step two people to buy product. And then I also need something that's connecting them. I need that sales system, you know, and that might be your email marketing or content marketing of some sort. 
And so over time, once I finally realized that, then I was able to work on refining both of those things. And by refining, I really just mean a lot of hard work on both of them to actually produce both of those things I needed. So producing better products that people actually wanted to buy and also growing my audience. And that both of those things took a lot of time and a lot of experimentation to figure out how to do them. But once I was aware that I needed both of those components, then I felt like I had um, an objective that I could actually work towards. I knew Mm -hmm. where I was going and I just needed to keep walking down that path to get there. Whereas prior to realizing that, I felt like I was wandering aimlessly and I wanted to get to objective that I saw far in the distance, but I didn't even know what direction to walk to get there. So once you once you kind of stumbled on this this money equation, so were you producing your own products? Were you selling other people's stuff? Was it affiliates? What was kind of the some some of the things? I mean, I know you mentioned I try if I, if it's out there, I tried it all. So you you did a little bit of everything, but what were some of the I guess like the progressive steps that you could go go through really quickly? Just say okay, this is kind of where I started. This was like the first step, and the second step, and third step, and then boom, I'm here. So. What are what were those? I don't know if it was so straightforward as here was the first step and the second step and the third step, but you mentioned there, were they my own products or were they maybe someone else's products? Mm -hmm. And so we all think of affiliate marketing, right? Because that's typically what is happening when you are selling someone else's products. Mm -hmm. And that was certainly on the list of things that I tried. And I tried it fairly early on in this process of trying to build an online business. Affiliate marketing is one of those things that looks fantastic on paper, right? On paper. (laughs) On paper. And it seems like it absolutely would work. Why wouldn't it work? You're selling someone else's product. They've already produced the product. You have this great thing you could sell. Hopefully you really believe in it and you know it's a great product. You just need to sell it. And then boom, you know, you're going to capture that affiliate income. Easiest way to make money, right? Uh, Well, I made a video on my YouTube channel a few months ago, I think maybe just a few weeks ago about affiliate income, how to produce affiliate income is affiliate income, all that it's cracked up to be. And in the video, the video starts with me setting up my filming setup. So I'm organizing my office a little bit, you know, straightening, tidying some stuff. I'm putting up my lights, putting up my camera, I'm curling my hair, putting my makeup on. And the question is, what does this have to do with affiliate marketing? And the answer is that just like when you watch a video on YouTube and you see someone sitting there in front of the camera and you think, wow, it looks so easy. This person has so many subscribers, so many views. I know they're making money somehow here. And all they're doing is sitting in front of a camera and talking for 15 minutes. Easiest job ever. But what you don't see is all of the work that goes into producing that video ahead of time. Now, of course, in the case of a video, the work that goes into producing the one video is not an enormous amount of work. It's not hundreds of hours of work, typically. But it still is much more work than it is than you perceive that it is. It's like that iceberg under the water where you see that top 10, exactly. 20% of the iceberg, yeah. and there's so much underneath that you don't see. So with filming the video, obviously there's all that setup work, but there's also all of the planning work that happened for that video. And there's also all of the literally years of practice that it took me to be able to present to camera as halfway decently as I can and to learn the knowledge that I'm sharing in the video. And so I don't say that to make it sound like making a video is, you know, such a production or such something that should be so highly regarded, of course, but just to show 
how much more effort might have gone into a process mm -hmm. than what you see from the outside. And so affiliate marketing is so, so similar. From the outside, we see someone sending out an email to their list, promoting someone else's product, and then they just make sales and they get income from that. And sometimes I do that. I'm an affiliate for the Teachable platform, for example. I love Teachable. It's a great platform for building right. an online course on. I really support it. And so a couple times a year, I send out an email to my list and I tell them Teachable is having a special promotion. I love this tool. I've built some courses on it. They work really well. My students love those courses. If you want to build an online course, check this out. This is a great opportunity to get started with Teachable. I send that one email and typically we make at least $1,000 from sending that one email. How long does it take me to send that email? Maybe like half an hour. Teachable actually writes a lot of the content for me sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's very simple half an hour, I made $1,000. Okay, so did I make $1,000 in half an hour? Or did I make $1,000 in the years that it took me to build my email exactly. list? The years that it took me to create the content that grew my email list. Right. Um, the time that it took me to build courses on Teachable so that I could even be an affiliate for them, not because you have to make courses to be an affiliate, but because I had to experience their software to know that it worked really well. Right. Right. So there was a lot of backstory that went into being able to spend half an hour to make a thousand dollars. So is affiliate marketing a real thing? Does it really make money? Yes, absolutely. But there's a lot of work that you have to do beforehand before mm -hmm. you're able to make money with it. So I don't remember what your original question well, no, was. No, you you certainly you covered covered it for sure. But uh, I mean, you I, I uh, in the in the kind of the prep email I sent you, I told you I'm going to chase rabbits on occasion, and here's another one of those that I'm a great rabbit chaser. you mentioned. So, <laughs> building an email list. So that is that seems to be a, a hill that so many people have difficulty getting over or getting up. So what were some of the tactics or, or some of the ideas that you had other than just producing good content? I mean, how do you, what are some of the ways that you built your email list over time? Well, of course, at first, I wasn't even aware that an email list was a thing or why you would want one, right? And then I, at a certain point, I was introduced to this idea of an email list and how beneficial it could be. You and watched a webinar. I probably watched a webinar, right? Or maybe I heard Pat Flynn on a podcast exactly. talking about the power of his email list. But then I know that I did watch a webinar at some point. And so I was introduced to this concept. And if anyone who's watching this or listening to this is new to the concept, basically an email list is a list of prospective customers. And as we talked about before, in order to make money, you need two things. You need a product and you need customers, someone to buy that product. And so in order to get customers, of course, you need prospective customers. You know, Maybe that prospective customer period is very short. Maybe mm -hmm. they go from hearing, to you, hearing about you to buying in a matter of seconds or minutes. Or maybe that prospective customer window is very long. And first they hear about you and then years later they buy. But regardless... At some point, they need to be prospective customers before they become customers. So an email list is a very um, powerful thing to build for your business because there's a list of prospective customers that you can then reach out to to sell your products to. Okay, so email list is important. We should build an email list, right? So I become aware of this. And then I think, okay, you know, I'm an action taker. So immediately, okay, let's start building this email list. And um, that didn't go so well. 
I set up some systems. That part wasn't too hard to figure out, right? I signed up for some email marketing software. I installed it on my website. Okay, here's this you know shiny form on my website that people can opt into my list with. They can join my email list. Uh, but nobody's joining my email list. Hmm, why, right? So then I watch a webinar. I'm sure at this point I watched a webinar and it was for a course that promised to teach me how to grow my email list and talk about how having an email list, you can send an email out. You know, if you have maybe 10,000 subscribers or something, send an email out and generate maybe $10,000 by sending one email, which by the way is absolutely true. So a webinar told me the truth. So I bought the course. The course cost $2,000. Pretty expensive course, right? In fact, I believe that that's the most expensive online course I've bought at this point. Um, so I bought this $2,000 course and uh, spoiler, one year later, my email list was not much bigger than it was when I bought the course. And the reason wasn't because I didn't follow the course. Um, I've certainly bought courses in the past that I didn't see all the way through as we, I think most of us have. Sure. If you've ever bought a course, we've probably done that. Yep. People are busy, right? In this case, I went through most of the course, implemented most of the strategies, and my email list still, at the end of the year, I think I had maybe 500 subscribers, nowhere near the 10,000 subscribers that I had been promised. And so the question is, you know, what happened? Was it yeah. a terrible course? Were mm -hmm. the strategies bad? And I would say no. In fact, I think that it was a pretty good course. Strategies were pretty good. There's things I would still recommend myself, but there was something missing from the course. Um, and so that brings us to something that I find myself at this point saying to my, my followers and my clients both on repeat these days, which is that it doesn't matter how good your conversion rate is if you don't have traffic. Let me just say that again. It doesn't matter how good your conversion rate is, you don't have traffic. Mm. So conversion rate, that's the number of people, the percentage of the people who join your email list or who buy your thing out of the total number of people who visited your website or went to your sales page. So if two people visit your website per week, your conversion rate is 100%. Your email list is going to grow rather slowly, right? Maybe <laughs> per week. If your site gets 1,000 visitors a week and your conversion rate is 1%, we're going to get 10 new subscribers per week. If it's 10%, we get 100 new subscribers per week. Um, so conversion rate, very important. I mean, going from just a 2% to a 4%, doubling your conversion rate would double the number of subscribers. But if you don't have that traffic there, it doesn't matter how good that conversion rate is because your email list won't be growing. So inside that course that I purchased, there were tons of fantastic strategies for improving your conversion rate which is a, a great thing to do, but you have to start with the traffic. If nobody knows you exist, then they're not going to buy your product. If nobody knows you exist, they're not going to join your email list, right? If nobody knows your website exists, they're certainly not going to visit your website. Once someone knows you exist, then perhaps you have that discussion with them or you can have to have that conversation where you convince them right. that it will be worth their time or that it will be worth their money, right? But it, before they even know you exist, you simply have to work on getting that visibility. So the piece of the equation that I was missing is I needed the customers, right? But in order to get the customers, I had to have prospective customers. And in order to have prospective customers, I needed to start with visibility. So that was the thing that was really causing my lack of growth of my business. My lack of profit was that I didn't have the visibility. So it didn't matter how good my products were. It didn't matter how well my email systems were set up so that how good my conversion rate was nobody knew I existed 
And so that is what ultimately led me to YouTube, which is what led me here today, right? Exactly. So, you know, that's a great segue. So let, let's, let's, uh, let's camp on this one just for a minute. So you know, we have a new segment in all of our podcast chats called the Rising Tide Micro Course. And, you know, you are so good at just shifting on the fly. I can already tell you've had a number of different interviews. So I'd, I would really like it if, if you could just take whatever you're going to say next related specifically to, say, building an email list. I think that is so vital and so important. And, I, and we, you know, we get so many questions related to that specific question. So what can you t- touch on two or three just key tactics about building that email list as far as maybe content production or you take it in whatever direction you want to take it. But can you just give us two or three really key steps, you know, in the next three or five minutes, just about how to, how to really effectively build an email list? Because that, that's kind of one of the, those foundational pillars of your business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's see, where should we start this? Because I, I have a lot of good thoughts on this, but we have to figure out what order to put them in, right? So I think with the, the best way to approach this will be to almost start at the end and work backwards, okay? Sure. So in order to build that email list, first of all, we need to have something to entice people to actually want to join our email list. Because if we don't tell them why to join our email list, then they won't be persuaded to take mm, that action. Right. And so very frequently online, we call this thing that we are offering to people or incentivizing people a freebie or an opt-in offer or mm-hmm. a lead magnet. Okay. Right. This is often an ebook or a worksheet or a checklist of some sort. And I would argue that most of these things at this point are not the best idea, especially the ebook idea. Now, if you have an ebook right now and you are using that, uh, don't immediately scrap it necessarily. Um, and you're having an ebook is better than having nothing. Okay. Mm-hmm. We need to have some reason that we are persuading people to join our list. However, um, first of all, we live in the information age and there are, you know, numerous pieces of information that people could get, uh, no shortage of information, more blog articles than anyone could ever possibly consume. So we certainly don't want an ebook that is just general information on a topic. Exactly need to either have some sort of free resource that we are offering that will give the potential subscriber here an outcome so that they are not subscribing to get a piece of information, but they're subscribing because they want an outcome. So maybe this isn't an ebook about uh, how to eat in a more nutritious way, but rather it is a meal plan that will show them exactly what to eat on exactly Mm -hmm. which day of the week. Or it is a step-by-step checklist of before you eat anything, ask yourself these three questions. Okay, something that will give the subscriber a result because there's so much information out there, but that doesn't mean that getting results is easy. So if we can somehow deliver a result, then that will be something that is actually worth their time and worth giving their email list or their email address for. Does that so, have to be immediate? Does that, is it best if it's an immediate result? It's best if you time. can give them the result quickly mm-hmm. because uh, we're busy and we get distracted. Exactly. Yep. Right. Now, alternatively, besides the freebie, now this is slightly dangerous territory, but you can not offer a freebie and you can make the incentive, the email list itself, which really would be much better because then people will actually continue to open your emails. Right. So if the incentive is a weekly meal plan, or a weekly workout plan, or 
Tim Ferriss has his five bullet Friday. Okay. Now I wouldn't really recommend to the, 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 the typical mortal who is not Tim Ferriss <laughs> to do something as general as this. But the thing that people opt in to get is Tim's weekly list of five things that he's loving. They don't opt in to get some specific freebie. They want that list every single week. And you know what that means? That means that they open his email every single week to get that thing that they signed up to get. So if it could be some sort of recurrent value, mm -hmm. then that really is going to make your email list the strongest. Okay, so that's step one, but we're going backwards. So final step there is we need something to entice them. And hopefully it's actually the emails themselves. Right. Now, before that, of course, now this is just very much like admin, but we need some sort of system, right, to get mm -hmm. them to sign up. So we need that opt-in form. We need some sort of email marketing system. Um, there's plenty of tutorials online for setting up your email list that you can find for free. So we won't dwell there, okay? That's the step before this. Um, and then you might want some tactics for improving those conversion rates, right? If your email opt-in form is at the very bottom, of your website and very small, then people won't see it and they won't subscribe. So we want to put it somewhere up near, you know, the top of your website over in that side column next to your blog article, something like that. So that people easily notice it and they easily understand the value. Of course, there's always more tactics that we can use to increase those conversion rates, but I find that this is a very much an 80-20 equation mm -hmm. and that we can get 80% of the results. We can really get a great conversion rate if we just have something that is actually enticing to people and we put it somewhere where they can see it because then we need to focus on the other step, which is getting the right people to see it. And so focusing in more on those conversion rates, really we're going to experience that law of diminishing returns where we're putting a lot of time in and putting a lot of mental energy in to get a very marginal gain. Right. Okay. So, basic conversion tactics have been implemented. Now, before that, we need the traffic. And in order to get the traffic to the website, because that's not something we can exactly do, right? Traffic is something we need, but it's not an action to take. And I like to keep things very action-oriented. So we need something to send the traffic to the site. Obviously, there's lots of options here. We could run Facebook ads. We could use Google ads. We could use Pinterest marketing. We could promote our brand on Instagram. We could make videos on YouTube. We could create just articles on our website and get that organic traffic from Google. Now, what I found after trying literally all of those things uh, is that the best way to attract the traffic is to create something that gets people's attention, that is so good people can't ignore it that is truly share worthy, worthy of being shared. So that when if someone consumes it, if you can get even one of the right people to consume it, they then tell other people about it. Now, will every person who consumes it tell other people about it? No, of course not, because we're busy and we get distracted, right? And there's a lot of things competing for our attention. But if you make content that is that good, then chances are you can get more than one person to consume it and a small percentage of those people will share it, right? And we fortunately have these amazing platforms these days that have these state-of-the-art algorithms that a lot of people hate because they think that the algorithm is keeping them down and that the algorithm is their enemy. But the algorithm is their friend, okay? The algorithm on any platform is designed to match, matchmake viewers or readers, okay, consumers with content that they'll love. 
And so if you make content that is awesome content, content that people will enjoy and will find valuable, then the algorithm is your friend because the algorithm has been, the company has spent millions of dollars building this algorithm Mm -hmm. that is designed to find your ideal target subscribers, fans, followers, buyers for you. And so when you're, there, there is a certain point during this journey when you have created awesome content and maybe the algorithm is taking a minute to find you and taking a minute to find your people that paying for ads can be helpful to kind of be the catalyst for this equation here. Okay. To get some of the right people to see your content so that the algorithm maybe has some information to extrapolate on some, some data that it can use to find more of these people. But that's a moment in time. For the most part, we need to work on creating awesome content and let the algorithm do its magic. And so you'll see that in that equation, there's only one thing you're doing, and it's creating really awesome content. Now, of course, depending on what platform you are, there might be such an algorithm or there might not. Right now, we're uh, recording a podcast, and Mm -hmm. the primary podcast platform is iTunes. Right. And as you you might know, iTunes does not have a great algorithm. And that is the, the bane of every podcast podcaster, right? It's their, their biggest enemy, their biggest problem is that iTunes doesn't have an algorithm that works in the same way as most social media platforms. And so that means that it's more difficult and it requires more tactics, more strategies to turn a podcast from a new podcast into a popular podcast. And that means that sometimes it requires luck, right? Or else yep. it requires a lot of hard work. Right. If you're another news platform, noteworthy something. Yeah. Yes, right, right, which we all know is curated, not <laughs> just not just the the result of getting the right number of ratings or the right exactly. number of views. And so that can be really challenging. Now, of course, that's not to say that podcasting isn't worth it or isn't a good way to build your business or attract people. There's lots of benefits of podcasting. There are lots of people who have used it to propel their business to success. Um, But it is a more challenging option than some other options. Um, Now, I might be a little bit partial here uh, because after examining most of the other options, I've decided that YouTube is currently the best option. And perhaps it's a shame because not everyone wants to be on video. And so that is a drawback. But when you look at the way the algorithms work on all the platforms and the way the content is presented on all the platforms, it's really undeniable that YouTube offers a unique opportunity because A, they have one of those algorithms I'm talking about, which by the way, also Facebook, and Twitter and Pinterest and to some degree Instagram, they all have algorithms like that, okay? But YouTube has that algorithm and then they also have a way to create evergreen content, significant, Mm -hmm. substantial evergreen content that people can find at later dates Right. and it's long form content. So when people find your content, they are going to actually get to know you. On some other platforms, the content is very, very short, like 140 characters, right? (laughs) And on some other platforms, uh, the content lives for a very, very short period of time, like a matter of a couple hours or maybe a couple days. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so this can be challenging because you don't have very much opportunity to make very awesome content if you're limited by a very small number of characters or if you know that this content is going to be gone in two days and so you can only afford to invest so many hours into it. So the special thing about YouTube is that you can make big, really awesome content and you know that there are years in the future during which that content will have the opportunity to be discovered and to take off. And so you can afford to invest that time and maybe even the money into creating really good content. Plus, it's all in, in maybe in your channel as well. I mean, you, you kind of have a video library in your specific channels. Yeah, it's all so it's kind a- of in one location. Yeah, absolutely. So it's almost like you have a website within YouTube. Now, obviously, it's not the same. Obviously, um, we don't have as much control there. And so we certainly don't want our business to live only on YouTube. Right. But you have much more of that opportunity there on YouTube than you have on most other platforms. Now, you have a very similar thing going on on iTunes with a podcast, but you're missing the algorithm. And so that's why I think that YouTube is a unique opportunity. Now, Like I said, it is unfortunate that it is the only opportunity that combines all of these factors um, because not everyone likes being on video. You can do a relatively similar thing just posting articles on your website, okay? Because they're going to live on your website. They're going to be Mm -hmm. evergreen. They can be long form. You can put a lot of time and energy and resources into building them. However, the problem is that the only algorithm that's going to be propelling them to the top is Google's search algorithm, which can do a fair amount, but it's not social in the same way that most social media is social. So people won't be sharing it. And so you're missing out on that share traffic. You're going to be relying only on search. YouTube, on the other hand, has this great thing called suggested videos, which Mm -hmm. is where YouTube says, you don't know you want to watch this, but we (laughs) think based on our data that you do want to watch this. And a great percentage of the time, YouTube is right. On Google, people have to know what they want before they find it. Right. They at least know the outcome they want from the content, right? And so you don't have that opportunity to reach new people in quite the same quantity, okay? So, and then the other thing about Google versus YouTube, obviously actually the same company, but we're talking about Google search engine versus YouTube, is that on Google, um, there's actually a lot more competition, now, YouTube is incredibly competitive, no doubt about that, okay? Millions and millions and millions of videos on YouTube, but there is at least 10 times as much content on Google as there is on YouTube. Mm. And that means a lot more competition. That means that when you search for a topic on Google, you're going to find 10 plus pages of articles on that topic. Whereas on YouTube, there are certainly are topics in which this is the case, but there are also many topics in which you type in a specific keyword and you find only a handful of videos that actually match your keyword. In fact, sometimes you type in a keyword and there's not a single video that matches that keyword. And that means that there's still a lot of opportunity there. That means that even though in some industries on YouTube, it is fairly competitive, there still are other industries that are nowhere near saturated. And let me just say this also that... In the past two years here, I've built my YouTube channel in what is in some ways one of the more competitive industries on the internet and even on YouTube. Um, So my channel is about entrepreneurship and marketing and success. And 
This is not one of the most popular topics on YouTube. The videos in this niche don't typically get millions of views by any means. They're typically in the single digit thousands, sometimes double digit thousands, and then occasionally in the hundred thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not one of the most popular industries on YouTube, but it still is very competitive because who is creating content in this category? Marketers. And marketers are very loud. <laughs> marketers create a lot of content because that's what they know how to do. And mm-hmm. they know that it will help their business. And they have a monetary reward for doing so. Exactly. So they afford to spend a lot more time doing so. And so even though it isn't one of the more popular categories on YouTube, it is still very competitive. And it's actually more competitive because there aren't as many views to go around. So if there's right. only... 5,000 people watching this type of video and the people who are making this type of video are making a lot of videos, then that's a very different equation than if we're in the funny cat video category and there are 50 million people who watch these videos. And sure, there's also a lot of people making videos there, but not as prolifically as each marketer creates. Right, right. And their income may not be dependent on their, if their funny cat video goes viral or not. So yes, tell me- just, just touch real quick on your on YouTube. What was kind of that tipping point that where you moved from, you know, uh, my mom's watching and fourteen friends, and I'm I'm one. I actually watched it fourteen times to get the get the ticker to tick over a little bit. So, versus okay, now now a thousand people, now ten thousand people. What was what did, what would you say was one or two things that happened that really kind of, as Malcolm Gladwell says, the, what what the tipping point was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So good question. I perhaps not the answer you were expecting though, because most people, when they start a YouTube channel, they start with zero and they watch it a few times and their mom watches it and their friends watch it. Right. Okay. And so then they have 10 views and the next time 20 and next time 30. Right. And so we're going up, 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 up. Now, in my case, my story was a little bumpier than this. <laughs> I started a channel uh, about six years ago now, seven years ago, um, that was a beauty channel. So I was making videos about how to style my hair. And I thought that... I tried I, that once. Did uh, you do uh, that? No. Yes. <laughs> how did that go for you? <laughs> yeah, my mom didn't even watch it. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I started this and let's talk for just a quick moment, my reasons for starting this. I saw other people making videos like this. I thought that looks so easy. That looks kind of fun and they're making money. And I would like to make money in a fun, easy way, right? I mean, that's what we all want, right? Money in a fun, easy way. Whether or not we've defined that or not, I think (laughs) that's something that everyone would be like, yes, sign me up, money in a fun, easy way. So I started making these videos and it was kind of fun and it was kind of easy, but kind of hard, of course, right? Um, it was maybe easier than it would have been because I was doing a terrible job of it. Like terrible. These videos were the worst. I don't know why anyone watched them. And of course at first nobody watched them. Um, but it was surprising to me, even not realizing how bad the videos were. It was surprising to me how quickly some people started watching them because even six years ago, the beauty category on YouTube was very saturated. Mm. In fact, I think it may have been more saturated six years ago because I've seen on Google Trends that the popularity of hairstyling videos and makeup videos has actually gone down over the past few years here. It was a very hot trend for a while, and now it's still a thing, but it's it's not as hot of a trend. So I may have been in the peak of this very saturated industry, and yet within a matter of a few weeks, certainly within a few months, I had 50 people watching each of my videos. Now, is 50 people a whole lot of people? 
I mean, it kind of depends on how you look at it. If I had 50 people in a room watching me braid my hair, I would think that was kind of a lot of people <laughs> on YouTube compared to these other beauty vloggers who had 500,000 people watching them braid their hair. 50 was nothing, right? So, you know, perspective is important. But I was surprised even then how quickly some people started watching my videos. Now, it, it grew from there, 50, 100, and within a matter of a couple months, I had a few hundred people watching each video. And again, both then and now in retrospect, I think that's kind of surprising. But, and, and like I said, videos were terrible, especially in retrospect. <laughs> so just very interesting. And I thought, wow, you know, with making not very interesting, not very good videos in a really saturated industry, I'm still getting people's attention. People are still finding out that I exist. And then what happened was that some of my videos took off. In fact, there's one specific one in which I, it was called something like how to braid your hair behind your head. So all, literally all I'm doing in this video is braiding my hair, which any girl who knows how to style their hair will tell you this is like most basic, like most basic. Um, and of course, there's still lots of people out there who don't know how to do this, which was proven by this video that went on to get about half a million views. Wow. <laughs> on my channel with the terrible videos. This one was also a terrible video, slightly less terrible because it was shorter, but still pretty terrible video. Um, a lot of people commented and said, yay, I finally know how to braid my hair. Wow. So apparently I did something right. I did show them how to braid their hair. It but, also got YouTube's attention. It also got you, YouTube's attention. Right? You could have a, half a million views. That'll get YouTube's attention, I, I have a feeling. Yes, it did. Well, although I would say that it probably got YouTube's attention a long time before those half million views. And that's how I was able to get them because I didn't get them because I was a well-known beauty vlogger. I got them because YouTube discovered YouTube's very powerful algorithm that we were talking about earlier discovered that if they showed my videos thumbnail to people of certain demographic psychographics, then those people clicked on it at a higher percentage than they were clicking on other videos. And so YouTube shared that and put it in the suggested videos and I got the views, even though no one knew I existed. So anyway, so that was all very interesting, but um, I was making videos about how to style my hair, which you said, was it your mom and yourself and your, your three <laughs> best friends? And the answer was no, because I didn't tell a single person that I was doing this because even though it was fun and pretty easy, it was also, it felt to me rather silly and just, uh, yeah, just fluffy and pointless. And so I didn't really want to advertise to the people who I actually cared about um, that I was spending hours every week styling my hair in front of a camera. That seems kind of weird. So yeah, I didn't tell anyone. And about two years into this, two years of inconsistent posting, I would say, um, I stopped and I set all the videos on private and that was the end of that. And the reason was because it wasn't something that I truly felt passionate about or that I truly felt was worth, um, putting like my life behind. It wasn't what I wanted to spend my life doing or promoting. So I thought I need to figure out, you know, something different. Um, that is something that I actually care enough about to put my name on. Right. And so shut it all down. Didn't make any videos for about two years as I tried to figure out how to make money online, really, right? How to start a business that made money, what I actually wanted to do with my life, trying to grow up, figure out what I want to be when I'm a grown up. And so that was a process. And during which I started a few businesses, tried several different things. And then I had, in that period of time, I had started um, a digital marketing agency. And I had a few clients. 
clients and I was doing this work, but it was small. And I'm trying to figure out how to get clients. And at that point, I remembered, oh yeah, I started this YouTube channel and with terrible videos at this point, I had realized terrible videos um, and not a lot of effort and no promotion. I was able to get over half a million views. Well, that's invisibility. You know, maybe I should try that and I could do it way better than I was doing it before. And so then what ensued was a good six months. I don't know exactly how long it was, at least six months of me studying YouTube. Like, like a student studying YouTube, studying the algorithm, figuring out what worked on the platform and what didn't and how the algorithm worked and what I needed to do if I wanted to succeed on YouTube. Because if I was going to invest my time into this, I wanted it to be worth it and I wanted it to be successful and I didn't want it to take years and years to become successful, okay? Because I'm a little impatient sometimes, a little bit. <laughs> So uh, after a good six months of thinking and planning and studying and feeling like maybe I should stop studying and just start doing because I'm a big proponent of taking action and I kind of felt like, you know, maybe I'm just going to be in planning phase forever and never get around to doing anything. Finally decided, okay, this is enough studying. I think I've got this thing figured out and I started making videos. It took a minute to start getting the views, but not a whole lot longer. Within a couple months much about half the time I would say that it took me the first time. Within a couple months, I had a couple hundred people watching every video that I put out. And the period of time when there was, you know, my mom and me and my friend watching the video didn't really exist. Mm -hmm. After the second video, I would say there was new people watching every single video. And from there, the number of new subscribers that I was attracting every month started doubling. So that first month, maybe I got 100 subscribers. Second month, 200. Next month, 400. Okay. And so that was kind of like spring of, I believe, 2017, if I have my years straight. I think I do. Um, and by that uh, fall, so by that September, I had a few thousand followers, maybe about 2,000, and it was continuing to double. So it was like September 2000, and then October 4,000, and November. 8,000. And it continued to double until I got to right about that point where I was getting eight, where I got 8,000 in a month. And then it's actually stayed quite steady ever since then, where I've been getting somewhere between eight and 12,000 new subscribers every month. Wow. And, um, but it, it continued to double till I got to that 16,000 subscriber point. But that fall in September, I believe I had maybe 2,000, 4,000 subscribers. So not very many Actually, I was just looking at these numbers. I believe it was right around that 2,500 mark. Um, my husband decided to quit his job. <laughs> and I don't want this to turn into a huge life story, but I we were living on my income at that point, which was not very much. We were not making very much money. And I had just gotten my first check from YouTube at that point for right around $150. And that is not enough to live on in any economy. <laughs> uh, but for some reason, uh, between my belief that I had found a system that was clearly producing results and those results were growing every month. And my husband's belief in my ability to figure things out and make stuff work, <laughs> um, he felt he could quit his job. So he quit his job. Um, and it ended up being a good bet because that continued, the subscribers continued to double um, and then continued to grow even after the doubling stopped. And that check went from $150 the first month to something like $500 the next month to $1,000 just a couple months later. Mm -hmm. um, and then it it also continued to double for several months until we got up to the 
2,500 mark at at which point it slowed down significantly, it, but it continued to grow until we hit about 4,000 a month. And then it stayed very steady ever since. And a lot of people ask me, well, why hasn't that continued to increase at the same rate as your subscribers? And that's because it's most directly related to views. It's actually based on clicks, but it's the views that are driving clicks. Right. So um, at that point, when I was getting 8,000 subscribers per month, we were getting about half a, mil- a million views per month. And that both of those wow. numbers have stayed very steady. We continue to get half a million views per month, 8,000 subscribers. And that's because I'm making videos at the same rate that I've been making them practically from the beginning of this whole journey, which at, at the very beginning, I was making one video per week, but now I'm making two videos per week. And so at, then at the same rate, they're going viral. So making two videos per week, we have about one video per six weeks. So every six weeks, we'll have one video go viral. And that's not dependent on how many subscribers I have. That's simply one out of every, what would this be, 12 videos or so um, that I make is good enough on enough different metrics um, Mm -hmm. that it takes off. And good enough, I mean, that doesn't just mean a good video, of course. That means a video on a topic people really want to watch. It really resonates resonates with people and that they really engage with and that keeps them really interested, okay? good enough on all of these, across all these different factors, um, takes off. And so that doesn't, that's not dependent on how many subscribers you have. So the same percentage of videos take off means we get the same number of views because every video that we put out gets about 5,000 views. And sure that has gone up over time, but those 5,000 plus 5,000 plus 5,000, that doesn't make up that half a million we get every month. That half a million is built on those viral videos, viral videos, viral videos regularly, very consistently right. videos going viral, which isn't just luck, especially two years in. It's not just luck that every six weeks we have a video go viral. No. Okay. No. By doing the keyword research, by figuring out the topics people want to see, by making good quality videos. And that's what this is really all coming back to making good quality videos on topics people want to see. Um, we're able to predictably create that success, which then produces that half million views, produces those about 10,000 subscribers every month and produces that $4,000 check. Now, obviously my vid- my business now makes a lot more than $4,000 mm-hmm. a month. But if we're being completely honest, my family and I could live on $4,000 a month without making too many sacrifices. Right. And so one of my kind of strategies in life is to build as many different uh, streams of income as I can, each of which could support myself and my family on its own so that if I lose one, it's no problem. Or if one diminishes, it's no problem. So I know that we're getting towards the end of our time here. um, And you asked for rabbit trails and you got rabbit trails. Uh, but that basically answers your question of how did you go from the one view at a time, you know, one more view, one more view, one more view to actually getting thousands of views. And the answer is basically that I studied the platform and then I made good quality content that was based on what I saw was working on YouTube. Well, say it. I mean, you've, you've given us such a teaser that I have, I'm going to have to schedule you for a repeat guest later in the year to talk more about this. But just kind of a wrap up question about YouTube. How important are subscribers versus just views? Well, important for what? Um, like, I mean, as far as retention, revenue, all the all the R words you want to you want to come up with that. Uh, I mean, uh, is it important that, that people actually subscribe or is it is it more important that they're actually just watching the video from a that maybe from an ad revenue standpoint? 
Sure. Okay. Well, so strictly from an ad revenue standpoint, it's the views that produce the revenue. However, the subscribers are a very important metric because A, they're helping you create momentum with your views. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been plenty of channels that put out a video or have put out a series of videos. One of their videos happened to take off. They got a million or more views on that video and yet their subscribers are really low. And so the subsequent videos that they put out perform very, very poorly. Um, And it's because they didn't ask people to commit at all. They didn't say, we're going to put out more videos, subscribe for more. So people watch that one video and then they never even found out about the subsequent videos. And if people don't find out about those subsequent videos, then YouTube doesn't have much data to base their algorithmic decisions on and to determine whether or not more people would want to see these other videos. So great for making momentum, great for being able to reach the same people over and over again, Mm -hmm. because I mean, you can get the ad revenue if you make five videos, you know, each of which get a million views, even if there are five different 5 million people, what am I trying to say? Right. 1 million people, five different groups of 1 million people. That's what I mean. Um, You'll still get the ad revenue, but you're probably not going to be able to sell them a product or get them to purchase something, a service from your business. Okay. So if you want to get anything more than the ad revenue, they need to be the same people watching your videos over and over again. And that's really what the subscription feature is for. Um, And then the final thing is that when people see that number of subscribers, that is giving them social proof that other people are interested in what you're doing. So they'll be more interested in watching more of your videos as well. Sure. Well, as we, as we wrap up today, I just once again want to tell you thank you for just taking the time today to uh, share with our audience. I mean, it really has truly been a master class in, in just how to, how to grow an audience, how to the effective way to build an email list, and how to utilize YouTube as a, as a great social medium for your business. But if, if there was just one line you could end with that, that if you could go back and kind of your pre-YouTube self or pre-current you know current state self, What's one piece of advice that you would you would give yourself that you wish you knew, say, four years ago or three years ago or whatever it was that you think would have been a real game changer? I think that thing I mentioned earlier about it doesn't matter how good your conversion rate is if you don't have traffic. Obviously, we were relating that specifically to growing your email list. Right. But a very similar thing is true when you're just thinking about growing your YouTube channel or getting views on YouTube. It doesn't matter how good your conversion rate is. It doesn't matter how many people like your video, for example, if you don't have traffic, if people aren't watching your video. So you have to figure out how to get more people to watch your video, which on YouTube would be creating really good quality content that people really want to see. Well, Gillian, thank you once again for just taking time today and, and just wrapping up with such a, it's such a really valuable piece of advice that, uh, that people really need to kind of camp on. But uh, the best way to find you is is gillianperkins.com. Yes, gillianperkins.com or YouTube is another great place. You can just type my name into YouTube and you'll find me, Gillian Perkins. We'll certainly have those in the show notes. And once again, just thank you for taking the time and, and just really playing your part in helping all boats rise and a rising tide. Gillian, have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. <laughs>